It's just one verse today. Half of the verse, as a matter of fact. I have two translations up there on the screen for you. I'm going to read the first one and I'll refer to the second one during the message. It's James chapter 5, verse 13. The first half of that verse, 13a. And uh, we stand for the reading of the Word and for a prayer following. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. As a matter of fact, the other translation are any in your community suffering? They should pray. Both translations mirror each other. One individually and one communal. Folks, we are in a communal situation. If there's anybody in our community suffering, we should pray for them too. And uh, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. I'm succinctly aware, and one of the things that goes through my mind when I'm considering the uh, pandemic that has taken over this world are a couple of things. One of those is somebody in here we know uh, and that we each know is going to be affected by this, whether by their life being taken or uh, a serious sickness or they will know someone. And if it becomes as widespread as they say it could, maybe several. And there are some folks I know who are in poor health, who we know, part of our membership, that may not, if they get this, make it through because they have pre-existing conditions or they're in the right category for it. And so what I keep thinking about when I think about that is I want to go spend time with them or call them and, and let them know that I'm thinking about them and praying for them and encourage them and give them hope because they also must be aware of this situation is true for them. Because it's not just people who are uh, pre-existing conditions. It's also with people who have autoimmune disease, diabetes, all these different things that can uh, make this much worse than it, than it would be. Uh, we, we've talked to folks who have recovered, and I've seen stories of people who have recovered, and it's all different. It's all across the board. We don't know. And so when I walk around uh, the community where I live or this community or anywhere, I keep looking around thinking, I see nothing happening, but something is. That there's this quiet, this calm around where people are kind of just wondering, looking around. I don't know if you notice that in yourself, but it's this, this expectation or anxiousness that has pervaded our society now. And, uh, and it's, it's not just something that we know what's going to happen, and it could be that this two weeks of people staying in, keeping away from others and doing the things they need to do might quell this thing. And those who are sick might know it in those two weeks and not infect others and then it'd be done. But then again, it might be that they've already spread it to people. We don't know. And that's one of the things that causes me concern about it. But there's something else that I'm, I've been thinking about. And, uh, and I, I, I don't know if you... Um, ever studied the book of Revelation, I did a long time ago, and I thought, well, I'm going to read and see if this is one of those plagues, if this describes it. And I read through some of Revelation yesterday and today, and, and I looked for that. And, and this is not described. There's some fire plagues and some other kind of plagues, but not like this. And I thought, well, that's interesting because 
those things, you would think that this is one of those things that's a revelation or sign. And, 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 and then I read in Revelation something else that really bothered me. That when those things did happen, and, and, and according to one of those plagues, it was, a, I believe, a famine that wiped out a fourth of the population of the world, right? And it said, and yet, and yet, people still didn't turn to God and repent of their sin. Could have stopped everything if we would just turn to God and pray. Humble ourselves before Him and seek Him and ask for His mercy and His direction and His uh, grace upon us because we need it. And that all those things that I was reading through Revelation that it says, and yet nobody turned back to God. And that made me sad. Not because it was end times thing, but because it's true that there's still some people through all this are going to blame God, blame others, and not turn to God and not repent. But this is serious business for those who are afflicted or who have family members who are afflicted. If we don't have them in right relationship with Jesus Christ, this is going to end up worse off than what we started. Do you understand what I'm saying? We as a church have a task now, greater than ever, now that people are fearful, to say there's an answer to your fear. There's a hope. If you are suffering, pray. If someone in your community, that means your home, your family, your region, someone you are acquainted with, and you know they don't know who God is, give them a call and pray with them. Even if they do know God, encourage them. And there's a reason I say that. It's because something that a crisis does causes a good and a bad, depending on where you stand. One thing a crisis causes is faith to rise up in those who believe and fear in those who do not. We either walk in faith or we walk in fear. Now a lot of people say, well, you know, you're not going to have church, you're walking in fear. No, I'm walking in faith that what we're doing is going to work. And I'm walking in faith that God meant this for good, that people will be saved and brought into the kingdom through this and call on God. It's like a last-ditch effort before other stuff happens. If you understand, our world has become increasingly dependent on financial electronical, internet, and everything else for their needs. And less and less on needing God for any of it. And now that things are starting to break down, and if people can't go to work, can't run the electric, can't run the water, all of a sudden, guess what? We're back to primal stuff. And we're going, we don't know how to survive. I can't get my internet working. I can't get my water working. I can't get my electric working. I'm so dependent on these things that I don't know how to live without them. I don't know how to survive anymore. And a hundred years ago, none of it was regularly available. None of it. And they knew how to survive. But our society isn't set up like that anymore. We're so dependent on things. And we've gotten to so many different patterns. I think God's trying to break those patterns to get us back to faith rather than walking in fear, which was truly just under the surface if the things were comfortable with disappeared. Second thing a crisis causes is uh, people either have compassion or they create carnage. 
Have compassion on the people who are hurting and broken or they're going to go out and pillage and, and loot and things like that and take advantage of the situation for their own gain. There's either going to be compassion or, uh, if you will, someone looking for um, financial profit. I was reading today that someone had bought 17,000 hand sanitizers to sell on Amazon for $50 each. And Amazon shut them down because he was price gouging. And he said, what am I going to do with 17,000 containers of hand sanitizer? He said, I was doing pretty good until they shut me down. I was making, I could ask $50, $100. People were paying. He says, unbelievable how much I made. And he says, I guess I'm just going to have to sell them locally. And I, I was beginning to think to myself, there's a perfect opportunity to give it away. To bless. But people aren't thinking like that. They're not having compassion. They're thinking coinage. <laughs> That's another good word for carnage or pillage. It's coinage. <laughs> another thing crisis causes is either humility or hoarding. Oh yeah, good luck getting toilet paper at Walmart. Unless you're early there when the truck unloads or something. But, but it's true. Either we have humility and say, I'm just going to get what I need. I'm going to take more than I need and I'm going to take more than I ever think I would need just so I'll have it in case something longer term happens. And then other people who need it short term don't have it. So we hoard or we have humility. And that's what a crisis caused. It begins to show us our true character. It's not always pretty what our true character is. But what do you do in a moment of anxiety, frustration, panic and fear? What do you do? Do you stock up or say, God, I'm just going to do what I need and, and, and thank you that you bless me and you'll continue to care for me? How do you look at that? And what, what is the line between the two? Where do you draw that line? This tells you what your faith says if you walk in it. And then the crisis causes other two things and that's either prayer or panic. Or both. You see panic... You see prayer. And some folks have both. And would you not agree that panic can cause prayer? And prayer not working can cause panic? I think it can. But what I want to share with you is that the Bible doesn't say if you're suffering, to panic. If anyone's suffering, let him panic. Now, now here's what's interesting. This suffering here is not talking about a disease of sickness. That comes a little later in the chapter, the sickness prayer. And it's not talking about being happy. That's in the second half of this verse. This suffering is talking about by events or people. That kind of suffering. And if we're not afflicted with this, we're still suffering with the event. We're still struggling with the event. And if that's the case, as the Scripture says, it doesn't say panic, hoard, carnage, and fear. It says pray, have compassion, have faith, and be humble about it. Calling on God. In Chronicles it says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, get on their knees, confess their sins before me, then I would listen and forgive their sin and heal the land. I promise you, if this entire nation to a soul, man, woman, child, would all get on their knees before God right now and pray and repent and come to God confessing our wickedness before Him, He would heal the land. 
But I promise you, people say, well, that just doesn't work. Because they don't believe. They don't have faith. They walk in fear or they walk in finance or they walk in frustration, but not in relationship with God because the church has idly sat by while people have done other things. Back in the 1960s and 70s and even the 50s, the church used the promotion of you come to us and we'll help you. Our doors are open on Sunday. You know where we are? Come on in. And at the time, there wasn't much else taking people's time or distraction and they'd come right in the doors. And that was the church's promotional aspect. Come to our church and we'll bless you. We'll love you. We'll help you. We'll help you grow with a relationship with Jesus. Our doors are open for you. And whoever could get the most people in the door would do that. But you know what? The church still thinks that's how it works. And it isn't. It isn't at all. The church, the way it works now is that we have to go. Because there's a lot of people say, I don't care if you're offering Jesus, I don't want it. I don't care if you're going to love me, I can find love elsewhere. I can find peace by doing anything else. I can find joy over in nature. I can find God on my own. The church they see is no longer necessary to go to because we've equated as, as the church, as the church is a building, and it's not. The church is the people who are in the building who are only here an hour or two a week and then we go out and we're still the church. We're still Melbourne United Methodist Church and we go out into the world. We're still the part of that church which is part of the larger body of Christ which is the true church. And so when we're out there doing these things and living our life, we represent Jesus Christ as an ambassador for His church, His body, as a member of this church or a a representative of it. And we are not just a Sunday morning people. But folks don't see that. They see the church as something you do, that you go to like an event. Church is not a spectator sport. Sunday morning gets us ready to go and serve the rest of the week. Hopefully, if not, then you need to come Sunday night so you can get two shots of them. Get out there and get your encouragement on. And Wednesday evening, get you some anointing prayer and then get you some more encouragement going so you have the anointing power of Christ on you and you know it. Now, I'm going to give you a teaser on a verse that's up ahead. In 14, it talks about those who are sick to call for the elders to pray over them and uh, pray the prayer of faith. I want, I want you to hear what, what James is talking about there because it's really important for us today. It's when the elders pray over someone, they're encouraged. This sickness is not disease it's talking about. It's talking about the falling away kind of sickness where you're falling away from God. And you call for the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and say, you still belong to God. God still has you. You still belong to Him. And you have every right to stand in His presence as His child. Don't forget that even though you feel like you've been distanced because of how you think or how you feel. You belong to God. And when James starts talking about that, he says, call the elders, anoint them with oil, pray for them. And it says a multitude multitude of sins will be forgiven, which is what the person has done to get away from God. And we as a nation need that kind of prayer. An anointing prayer over the whole land. 
the elders of the church who believe God still does and can to encourage this country to call back to the original faith of Jesus Christ and not of the dollar or the Fed. Oh, our economy is collapsing. Our economy, if it's based on the dollar, needs to collapse if it's not going to trust God first. So that we'll go back and say, we're panicking. God, turn to God. But, but I've lost everything. No, you haven't. What you found is you need Jesus. Your fear has called you into this panic mode thinking that things are out of control and God has never been out of control. Never been unaware. Jesus Christ has always been present and readily available. And so, when the bishop put out that call a couple days ago, he actually wanted us to be closed today and next Sunday. And I said, that's only eight days. <laughs> that's, that's eight days. That doesn't work. That's not two weeks. And so the following two will be two weeks. And I thought as I was doing this, well, that means we as a church aren't going to be doing anything. The church is going to be silent for two weeks. And this is not true. Because as I was... Seeing God's heart on that, he said, now's the time for the church to church up. Because now's the time when people will listen. And they're not going to be distracted by things they got to do, places they got to go, people they got to see, because they're not going anywhere. Except for in a place of fear at home. We have a perfect opportunity as a church to extend hope. It is the time where God said, people are calling on me and the harvest is ready. Are you laborers? It's time for the church to rise up now. It's not a time to be shy, to be hesitant. It's not a time to sit idly by while a crisis goes around and you're worried about yourself because you're good with God. You don't have to worry about your soul. Their souls, when they get this, aren't going to get a second chance to hear it. And we may be next door because we're afraid to get it that we don't share. But we got to do it before it gets too close. And take proper message methods to keep it safe in ourselves when it is too close. But never to not be willing to advance the cause of Christ. It's an opportunity for the church to give hope. And there is only truly one hope. People are saying it's going to take months for a vaccine. And then they say Israel has one. And, and another company is working on testing and all this other stuff. And they're going to bypass all the laws that say you have to go through trials just to get this thing out there because it might save lives. And people are going, oh, well, good. That'll, you know, and they're waiting. You don't have to wait on God. God is not a clinical trial. God has been the same in Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever. He's been the God of healing and restoration at all times. And He's asking the church to do two things. First of all, is pray sincerely to cover itself in repentance and seeking His face so that we would have His favor as we do the second thing He's asked us to do, which is to go. To reach out to each person we know and say, how is it with your soul? I know you got 50 bottles of hand sanitizer, but how is it with your soul? Have you stocked up on grace? Have you got yourself covered with the blood, let alone covered with uh, enough uh, soap and toilet paper to last you six years? 
Have you got an eternity worth of grace poured into your heart through Jesus Christ? On the list of things that people say to stock up on, nowhere does it say on repentance and salvation. It's not on the list. Our world doesn't value that. Because it thinks it won't do any good. And if the church sits idly by and does nothing, truly, we aren't doing a world of good either. I know there are some people we know, whether it be here or in our extended family, that are going to be affected by this. I know that. And I understand that some of them I may not see again after this is all said and done until the other side when we're with Jesus. And that breaks my heart. But I still want to reach out to each person I know who's a friend or a family member and say, is it well with your soul? Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life that might be hindering your walk with Jesus? Does it matter to you? See, we can either be the part that protects ourselves and gets ourselves quarantined, or we can do the right things and have compassion. First thing to do is pray. It's, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that God had me do those commitment cards on Lent that we did a couple of weeks ago on last Sunday. Praying for all sorts of things for others to get those folks into the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then this day to come forward from this. I believe that was divine authority. I really do. And they're still available. There's still more cards, more nails, a hammer, a way to write. If you're willing to pray and to share the faith with as many as you can, whether it be social media, if you feel unsafe face-to-face, do it that way. But by all means, individually. Not a blog post to the whole people who might see it, but message one at a time. Because the gospel is not spread in bulk, it's spread individually. I don't know if you saw the title of the message, but it's Let Us Pray is the name of the message. That's the first thing. Let us pray and let us share. It's going to be tough for a little while, and I don't question that. And some people are going to be hurting financially, scared financially, especially when they can't go to work or work can't pay their paycheck. It's all going to come to a crisis. But what are we going to do before then and through that? Will we encourage and pray for one another? And if we say, well, we'll, I'll worry about that day when it comes. I'd rather you pray now. All I can tell you that today, I feel like God has called us to pray as a church. Um, Part of what we're going to do here in just a minute, I'm going to cut that iPad off because I'm going to ask you to call for names of people who might need prayer who are in the category of pre-existing condition and uh, 60 and above conditions are what they say and people who are 80 and above and we have some here today in all those categories. And so we need to specifically pray for them that God will be with them and protect them and bring them safely through. 
I don't know how to say this any other way. This hits home. And if we don't take it to the throne of God now, what is going to get us there? What's going to get us there? What's going to get us there if this isn't? And where is it in our heart that we can't have compassion for those we love in this very room? I'd go through all the different categories of which it affects more. But then everybody in here be going, oh my goodness, that's me too. So I just share this with you. That we need to pray. So if anyone in your community or any among us is suffering, hurting, scared, unsure, panicking, then we and they should pray. And so we're going to pray. Let me close this with a word of prayer and then I'll share with you how we're going to do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, You know that out of tragedy often comes great faith. I remember when uh, Desert Storm happened and our communities all became very patriotic. Well, Heavenly Father, I'm asking that You would use this for Your glory, that it would be a great revival, a great wave of Your Holy Spirit moving through our land and through our world that would restore lives and bring people to salvation and repentance and confession, Heavenly Father. This whole section of James talks about that, of confessing our sin, of finding hope, of letting people pray for us, of praying together over others. But it first starts out with those who are suffering that we know or that might be us. Heavenly Father, that doesn't get us to pray. I don't know what will. And so help us as a church to set the example of how to pray with and for that we might encourage those who just don't know what to do now to find hope in You. You are the only hope. You are our only answer. You are our only peace. You are God, Jehovah Rapha, God who heals, the God who provides healing. And so, Heavenly Father, I ask that You in this place would hear the prayers of our hearts even as we lift them up to You. And I pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.